0: The Dance Edit Podcast is brought to you by Jackrabbit Dance. Jackrabbit is the industry's most reliable dance studio management software. If you're a studio owner, you know how important class management software is. Jackrabbit is going to make your life so much easier. Their software is cloud-based, powerful, and adaptable. And Jackrabbit has the industry's largest team of trainers, product coaches, and client success specialists to support you in your studio. You wouldn't accept less than the best from your students. Don't accept it from your software either. Visit jackrabbitdance.com and use the promo code DANCEMEDIA, all one word, for a free trial. friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer.
1: I'm Courtney Escoyne,
0: And I'm Lydia Murray. We are editors at Dance Media, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the fact that the new season of Dancing with the Stars is really happening, pandemic or no pandemic, and discussing what in the world that might actually look like, getting into the ballet world's digital season trend and how it ties into what the future holds more generally for ballet post-COVID. Celebrating the fact that the wonderful Aisha Ashe has been named the first Black female member of the School of American Ballet's permanent faculty and talking about just how big a deal that is. And hearing from Silas Farley, who just retired from New York City Ballet at the ripe old age of 26, so that he could pursue other dance adventures. But first, we'd like to ask a small favor. Um, the app that you're using to listen to this podcast right now, whatever app that is, go ahead, open it up. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you get our new episodes as soon as they drop, first of all. And then if you like what you've been hearing or, you know, even if you don't because we value honesty, please leave us a rating or a quick review um, because your enthusiasm will help other like-minded dance nerds find and join this little conversation that we've been having for, you guys, 25 episodes. 25 episodes now. How How? is that possible?
1: How? What?
0: (laughs) Hashtag time is fake. Time is
1: fake.
0: (laughs) Okay, so that housekeeping done. It's time for our weekly dance headline rundown. And it felt like a really sort of breathlessly newsy week in the dance world. Um, Lydia, can you
2: get us started? The endlessly cool Caleb Teicher performed with Regina Spector as one of the virtual musical guests on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert on Tuesday. The video was directed by Daniel Ryan and shot by O'Connor Hartnett.
1: How do I become Caleb's best friend? I'm just going to put it out into the universe. Speaking of cool people, uh, Sufjan Stevens tapped Jaliah Harmon, aka the creator of TikTok's viral renegade dance, to perform her own choreography in the music video for his song Video Game.
2: Yes. And some more coolness. Um, Johnny Cruz Mercer, Leslie Sujet, and Angie Pittman have received the inaugural Black Artist Space to Create Residency from New Dance Alliance. This is a two week residency in upstate New York that offers a $2,000 stipend and no requirement to present new work at the end in the spirit of radically reimagining what it means to serve Black artists.
1: Uh, And to my dismay, uh, Edward Watson, who has been a principal dancer at the Royal Ballet for the last 15 years, announced his impending retirement following the premiere of Wayne McGregor's The Dante Project, which has been delayed by COVID. Uh, He'll be sticking around, though, as a repetitor for the company.
2: Edge Performing Arts Center, one of the best known dance training centers in Los Angeles for many years, is closing, but possibly only temporarily. The property where it has uh, resided for the past 28 years has been sold. Uh, The center's future remains uncertain as its owners take time to reassess its next steps. Diana,
1: a new musical about the late British princess, will be filmed with the original Broadway cast next month, sans audience, and available to stream on Netflix early next year. Here's the twist. It's still planning to open on Broadway in May 2021, after its release on the streaming platform. Uh, It's also worth noting that Hector's equity gave a green light to the planned safety precautions in place for the casting crew to safely rehearse and perform. Do
0: you guys remember what feels like a hundred years ago, but was really only a couple months ago when we were talking about the Hamilton team worrying about how streaming the show too early might cannibalize tour ticket sales? It feels like an alternate reality.
1: I mean, it was several decades ago in the before times. It
2: truly was. The UK government recently gave the go-ahead for indoor performances to resume in England. Socially distanced indoor performances have been permitted in England since last Saturday, August 15th. In a tweet, the Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media, and Sport described this as an important step toward the recovery of the arts. Uh, But one skeptic, Sir Matthew Bourne, who replied, not financially viable.
1: Stephen Twitch Boss has been named co-executive producer for The Ellen DeGeneres Show, which is coming up on the start of its 18th season. This is part of the ongoing behind-the-scenes shakeup coming after months of reports of a toxic work environment as well as reports of racism.
0: First of all, we love Twitch. Yes. Twitch is fantastic.
1: Yes. yes.
3: He
0: has yes. made yes. really perceptive use of Instagram and TikTok where he has huge followings to advocate for Black dance artists and for equity within the broader entertainment industry. So I think we're really eager to see how his voice will shape the show going forward and um, that said, it is a little frustrating that it sort of took this moment for mm-hmm. him to get the recognition that he deserved on the show after serving as, you know, their resident DJ for so long. It's like, well, that's only a fraction of what he has to offer.
1: Well, and I'm hoping that they're actually going to utilize all of his brilliance uh, rather than just saying like, oh, look, we gave him this title.
2: Exactly. Yes. yes.
0: Fingers crossed. So in our next segment, we're going to head over to a different corner of the television universe to talk about season 29 of Dancing with the Stars, because it is very much happening and happening very soon. Um, This week, we found out that the show's premiere date is September 14th, just a few weeks away. There have been a lot of assurances from the show's team that stringent safety measures will be put in place, but the general format doesn't seem to have been altered at all. This is still a, a partnered ballroom competition. So what is the season actually going to look like? And joining us to help us figure this all out is our our resident Dancing with the Stars obsessive, Cadence Neenan. Hi.
4: Hi, everyone.
0: Okay, tell us what's up.
4: Okay, so just kind of to set the stage, I'd like you to picture me all wearing like a bedazzled face mask and standing beneath a disco ball, just kind of like get you in the mood for what we're looking at this season. (laughs) Um, I would say... Nobody really has a clear idea of what to expect from Dancing with the Stars this season. The only news that we have so far in terms of what the COVID safety regulations will actually look like is that all of the pros will be required to live alone, including the six pros returning this season who are married to fellow pros on the show. Um, the idea is that then if one couple gets sick somehow, one dancing couple, i.e. a celebrity and their professional dance partner, then they can be removed from the competition without any of the other couples having to get pulled. But that's the only news we have so far as to what social distancing on a ballroom dance show will look like. You know, this is brought to you by ABC, the same television network currently filming their next season of The Bachelorette. So it seems to be a television network. What? What? pushing the edges of what what you can do amidst a global pandemic for reality television.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because when I first heard that they were going ahead with the season, a part of me thought, all right, well, this is the television world, the one part of the dance universe that maybe has the resources to... Implement the super costly safety measures that, you know, like professional sports teams are using. Maybe they're all going to cohabitate at some specific facility designed for this purpose because they have the funds to make that happen. But I mean, the news that we've heard about the fact that all the pros are living separately clearly they're not doing it that way. So, so many questions remain. Um, but so actually there was some other news that dropped this week about Dancing with the Stars, right, Cadence? Can you break that down? Yeah, for us? so
4: they officially announced the lineup for professional dancers for this season. Most notably, we got the return of everyone's favorite Australian professional, Sharna Burgess. And what I'm even mm-hmm. more excited about, um, Dancing with the Stars is first ever Black female pro, uh, Britt Stewart, is joining the cast. She's a former troop member, absolutely dazzling.
2: If I could just kind of go on a little bit of a rant about how hyped I am about Britt Stewart becoming a pro. Um, we love your rants. So excited about that. Um, I have followed her on Instagram for some time now. I love watching her videos. And something that I also find interesting is that even though this is changing, I think in entertainment, Black women still often don't get to be presented as beautiful, desirable, strong, and supported simultaneously in the way that women in ballroom kind of are. Um, And there's a sort of chivalry that's built into much of ballroom dance that we don't always see extended to the Black women who appear on our screens. Um, So... That's something that I didn't really expect to to get from that experience of, you know, watching a black woman basically killing it in ballroom. Um, But overall, I'm just really excited. She's so talented. Really looking forward to this season.
1: Representation. Indeed. Yes.
2: Um, All right.
0: Cadence, thank you for attempting to break that down for us. What what breaking down there was to be done. Um, We appreciate you stopping by. We'll see you next week.
4: Bye, everyone.
0: So as summer comes to an end, and the pandemic continues to rage in the United States, we've reached what feels like a pivotal moment. It's that time when you know the big fall TV seasons usually start up and the big fall dance season usually starts up. So this period sort of holding tight and hoping things will get better. That's over now. And we have to kind of get on with the show in whatever way is possible. Um, for a show like Dancing with the Stars, apparently that requires relatively little change somehow. But In the ballet world, with its traditional reliance on large casts, dancing in big proscenium theaters, a lot of adjustment is required. And so recently, several ballet companies have announced complete reimaginings of their 2020 to 2021 seasons.
1: Yes, and I expect we're only going to be hearing more along this line. But uh, most recently, uh, Miami City Ballet announced the cancellation of all of its previously planned live in-person performances. Uh, They have not made any concrete announcements about what this season is actually going to look like, though they are still planning to present something. Uh, Lourdes Lopez said to the Palm Beach Daily News that they're potentially looking at some combination of archive footage, live stream performances sans audiences, and outdoor performances. Uh, Meanwhile, Pacific Northwest Ballet, uh, who had announced its entire season way back in February or March, I believe... Um, has revamped it so that it is a completely digital season. Uh, they're still going to be presenting premieres, uh, but definitely focused more on smaller works, uh, kind of packaged in what you would think of as like normal performance seasons just spaced throughout the year. Uh, and you know, and also companies like Ballet X, who announced a little bit earlier that they're still doing all the premieres they had planned, but they asked the choreographers to reimagine them entirely for digital spaces. I think it's also interesting that uh, PNB, we had kind of at Dance Magazine spoken to Peter Bowl about kind of how they were approaching planning a season before all of this news broke. Um, And one of the things they said was they were looking at the possibility of, okay if we can't have audiences in the performance, we're going to use this downtime where we can't actually use our theater to get it set up so we can film. So that these new works that are being created, even if we can't have an audience there to see them, we can film it really, really well and produce a good experience for our subscription base and our audience online.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, a great approach to the challenge of bringing in revenue while keeping programming exciting and giving donors or prospective donors reasons to either remain or become interested. Like they still have those reliably revenue generating ballets, but there's also still room for the more cutting edge work.
0: So tons of possibilities for real creativity in these announcements, but digital content isn't the whole picture for ballets during this COVID era. Um, And Avi shared a piece for Point Magazine this past week talking about what the new ballet normal might look like for as long as the virus is with us. And it was this bigger picture. Look at it was pretty sobering.
2: So in this article, uh, Mark Kirchner, who's the co-founder of Marquee TV, talks about the importance of companies um, integrating digital into their strategies in order to survive. He says that long term, they need to connect their digital programming to data, marketing and operations, which was already the case. Um, And he promoted creating high quality digital recordings of new works rather than relying on previously recorded classics. Uh, The example he gave was Swan Lake, you know, um, or, or videos that aren't created primarily for digital consumption. Because right now, companies need to differentiate themselves, and that's an important way to do that. Uh, And also Michael Kaiser, the renowned arts management expert, um, also emphasized the importance of, as he put it, hoarding cash, uh, because when companies are able to reopen, there will be intense competition. Um, Also, the the experts interviewed for this story agreed that digital content should not be free. Um, Kaiser Mm -hmm. also pointed out that online content is a great audience development tool, but it shouldn't hinder long-term planning. The goal is to make sure that you're prepared when it's time to actually bring audiences back.
1: Well, and I think he very astutely pointed out uh, there's a ceiling for how excited people will get about online content. And Mm -hmm. I think this, you know, this is something that I think has been in the air well before this about how do we leverage digital content in a way that gets people to buy tickets to live performance this was an issue before the pandemic now that we're all existing primarily in a digital space it's become a much more fraught question Mm -hmm. uh however i think we all inherently have this awareness that uh screen dance is kind of is its own art form And that if you are primarily a live performance company, how you approach promoting that live performance is not the same thing as producing screen dance, which we've touched on many a time before. And so I think the main thing that I got from this entire article is being strategic about what you are putting out there and how you are putting it out there and how that Mm -hmm. relates to the future of the company so that the company can have a future.
0: Right. It's not just about remaining Visible right again. now that that is important. There's, yeah, a lot more to think about beyond simply visibility. So it's definitely time. We have earned now a this week an actually good news moment. And so here's some fantastic news that came out of the ballet world this past week. Next month, Aisha Ash, who danced with New York City Ballet and Lines Ballet, um, was the world's best body double for Zoe Saldana in Center Stage will become the first Black female member of the School of American Ballet's permanent faculty. This is so major.
2: It is. I'm so happy. This really made my week. Uh, in a New York Times article that came out recently about this, she said that this has been in the works since spring of last year, but she only accepted in January um, little bit of background she felt like her her drive had died at the company when she was a member Uh, she endured a lot of microaggressions on top of the standard challenges of dancing in a company of that caliber Um, and her father had passed away and that was when she decided uh, it was time for her to move on Um, since then she's founded the swan dreams project which is designed to fight negative stereotypes of black women she's a certified bodies instructor At the end, she says, um, I have this hyper-awareness of that student who's shy in the corner and just needs someone to pull them out. Um, She said, I can be there for that little Aisha in the classroom. One problem with the culture of ballet training in general is just that dance students are treated like adult professionals when they're still children. And I know that that's improving now. Um, But in the past, I think that was very much the case. And when you're a Black student, you're often treated like a black person in the workforce, which can be challenging enough for real adults, you know, um, and you don't always feel like your teachers can support you or you're subjected to flat out microaggressions at a time when you should really be thriving and adults around you should really be helping you to develop. Um, So I just think it's so important that this is happening. I'm really, really glad to see it.
1: Well, and I think something that I know I'm really excited to see how it plays out is, You know, she didn't just have a career at City Ballet. She almost stopped dancing after City Ballet, but she didn't. She went to Europe and worked for Maurice Bejart. Uh, She worked with Alonzo King. She has all of these different experiences that she's going to be able to bring into what can often seem like a very insular bubble of School of American Ballet and New York City Ballet. I cannot wait to see how much depth that's going to bring to the students who get to have her.
0: Somebody who is deeply wounded by the ballet world could have left it all behind, but instead came back to the very place that wronged her to help prevent those same wrongs from happening to another generation of, of dancers of color. She needs, a, oh gosh, biopic, biopic, biopic?
1: I, I don't know which one it is, but I do know but that we need to, it. she needs it. And we need yeah. to petition for Zoe Saldana to play her in said oh. movie, <laughs> right? Like, think about it. Think about it. It's so good.
0: Oh, things to dream about okay so now we have the next installment in our voice memo series um each week we've been asking a dancer or a dance leader to leave a message for the dance community just talking about what they're working on and what they're thinking about right now in their own words this week we have one of our not just all-time favorite dancers but all-time favorite people silas farley who is truly ballet's renaissance man he's only 26 years old but he just retired from new york city ballet so that he could Cultivate other aspects of his formidable intellect. Um, this academic year, he'll be an artist in residence in Southern Methodist University's dance division, and his choreographic commission for the Guggenheim's Virtual Works and Process series will premiere this Sunday. He gives us great hope for the future of ballet. Here he is.
3: Hello, Dance Edit listeners. My name is Silas Farley. I'm a ballet dancer, teacher, and choreographer. Right now I'm in the Dallas, Texas area where my wife Cassia and I have lived with her side of our family since March. It's been a transformative season of life for us, and I'd say that family has been the main theme of these past few months. On Sunday, March 1st, I danced what I didn't realize was my last performance with New York City Ballet, and a few weeks later, Cassia and I came here to Texas. We'd been thinking about a career transition for me even before the pandemic, I'd had an exhilarating eight years with City Ballet and had fulfilled what I hoped to do as a performer. I was ready to start cultivating other aspects of my artwork and education towards my goal of being a leader in ballet. During the quarantine, I was able to seek wise counsel and began to move in a new direction. I transitioned out of my role as a City Ballet dancer, I started coursework towards a degree through Harvard Extension School, and an amazing opportunity opened for me here in Dallas to become the Armstrong Visiting Artist-in-Residence in in Ballet at Southern Methodist University, SMU. My sister-in-law, Eliza, had arranged for me to start guest teaching at SMU a few years back when she was a student there, so I already had a strong connection to the university. In my new position, I'll teach advanced ballet classes, a section of ballet history on Balanchine, and in the spring semester, I'll choreograph a new work for the students. For some time now, teaching has been my main passion, so I'm excited to start pouring myself full-time into encouraging and developing other artists. COVID-19 has brought about a lot of change in my life, and I'm so grateful for the love and support of my family through it all. They've also been instrumental collaborators on my recent teaching and choreography work, I spent a month in Abilene, Texas earlier this summer with Cassia's grandmother, Judy. Judy let me turn her back office into my studio. From that room, with the furniture pushed aside, I taught virtual classes for Raleigh School of Ballet, the Chautauqua School of Dance, and the School of American Ballet. I was moved by the focus, dedication, and beautiful work of my many students who beamed in from their living rooms, garages, and studios all over the country. Since COVID-19 shifted our art form to a digital platform, I've made several dance films. My sister-in-law Eliza has been my videographer, and the golf course behind my in-law's home has been my location. One of these projects is a film for the Guggenheim Museum's Works and Process Virtual Commissions. I choreographed a work for me, Cassia, and Eliza. We could partner because we were all quarantined together, and that was such a gift. I hope the viewers will feel the joy and freedom that we felt as we danced this piece outside. I chose music by a brilliant composer and close friend of mine named Kyle Werner. I've entitled the piece Anakoresi, which is the Greek word for departure. The music is the first movement of Kyle's Kyklades, which is a large-scale solo guitar work based on a sailing trip Kyle took through the Kyklades, a group of islands in Greece. In this one movement, Kyle introduces the musical ideas that he develops in the later movements. It's a sonic preview of what's to come. I choreographed these subsections of the first movement as solos for me, Cassia, and Eliza, and the piece ends with the three of us dancing together. The centerpiece of the Kyklades in Greece is the island of Delos, the mythological birthplace of Apollo. As someone who loves classical ballet, I braided references to Balanchine's Apollo into my choreography. There's a repeating gesture similar to Apollo strumming his lyre, and a quote from Calliope's variation when she contracts with a pang of inspiration on a percussive note in the music. I recently had a conversation with Kyle about how we want to honor and renew our disciplines of classical music and ballet. And we talked about Kyle's visit to Delos with its ancient ruins. That got us both thinking about how ancient Greek and Roman statuary and architecture were actually not all monochrome white marble as we typically see. Oftentimes, the sculptures and architecture from that period were richly painted. Those hues faded with time, and the resulting all-white bodies and buildings became emblems of Western classical art and beauty. But the reality is that classicism was in color. And that idea of classicism in color makes my heart race with excitement for the future of ballet. I see how my new role as a teacher and choreographer, in concert with the work of leaders like Teresa Ruth Howard and Virginia Johnson, combined with the refired movements for justice and equity since the tragic killing of George Floyd, are pushing this historically white art form of ballet to open itself up, to embrace and represent people of all different colors, to become what could be called, in the very best sense, a kingdom of the shades. There's no question that COVID-19 has done a great deal of damage, but it has also given many of us something we rarely have, which is time. And my hope is that we will use this time well. It's time to reconnect with our families and loved ones. It's time to enter into conversation about how to heal the organizational culture of our companies and schools. It's time to reflect on the history and purpose of our art form And it's time to ask ourselves this question. How can I be an agent of peace, continuity, and reconciliation?
1: Just what a wonderful human being. Thank you so much, Silas, for being you. you. Yes.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Silas. You can also, you can tell that he is a podcast host himself. He's going to keep hosting New York City Ballet's podcast. Thank goodness. We look forward to hearing more from him on that platform.
1: That makes my heart very happy. Yes. Same here.
0: Um, Make sure that you tune in to Silas's Works in Process premiere this Sunday, the 23rd on the Guggenheim's Facebook and Instagram and YouTube accounts. And while you're waiting for that, if you want to get a sense of both his dancing and his choreography, you can watch his work Songs from the Spirit, which he created for the Met Museum last year, um, which is now available on YouTube. And we'll link to that in the episode description. All right. Thank you everyone for joining us. We will be back next week for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world. Keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing.
1: Mind how you go, friends. Bye,
2: everyone.
0: The Dance Edit podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit newsletter. Our hosts are Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, Lydia Murray, and Cadence Neenan. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those football sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.